I will tell you, I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning, that as your pastor, as I study throughout the week, as I work through things, I must tell you that there are so many things that I wish to share with you, I wish to convey to you. And as I pray and as I work through these things, and we focus on one portion, again, I just have such a desire for you to know God's Word and to understand it. So this morning, let us pray and ask for the Lord's blessing over His Word. O Lord our God, to whom all people shall come, we thank You for Your judgments are true and righteous altogether. We thank You that we come before You day by day, that all things are exposed and open in Your sight. You know our sins and our shortcomings, our needs and our hopes better than we ourselves do. Minister to us in your wisdom. Give us those things which are needful and take away from us those things which are contrary to our calling in Christ. And now, Lord, enlighten our minds that we may understand and behold the wondrous things out of your law. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So I know we had an interruption with a couple of guests pastors stepping in and sharing God's word with us and they were very helpful and insightful but we have been working through a series on cultivating the fruit of the spirit almost sort of like a reminder for uh, those of us who've been in the faith a long time and a introduction to how to live the Christian life for some of our our newer folks that have just come to know Christ but cultivating the fruit of the spirit All Christians should develop all the fruit of the Spirit, not just some. Now, obviously, God gives gifts, and certain people are more easily given to certain types of the gifts of the fruit or the fruit of the Spirit. But nonetheless, we are commanded in Scripture to develop all of the fruit. And so, as a reminder, I'm going to read that verse with all of the fruit of the Spirit in it here today. And this is out of Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. We live in a time, and I, I keep reiterating this, I keep saying it again and again, that we live in a time that is a battle for words. He who defines the definitions... He who defines words controls the culture. Again, I'll remind us that every effective or believable lie has elements of the truth in it. Let us remember that as we consider these words. Our title today is From Love to Self-Control. Now, if we were to go back in Old English, the word self-control would have read temperance. I love C.S. Lewis because he picked up pretty early on that uh, people were redefining words in a real attempt to redefine and shape the culture. And he says this about the word temperance. He says this, Temperance is unfortunately one of those words that has changed its meaning. It now means, usually, teetotalism. That is to say, don't drink alcohol. But in, days, but in the days when the second cardinal virtue christened temperance, 
It meant nothing of the sort. Temperance referred not specifically to drink, but to all pleasures. And it meant not abstaining, but going to the right length and no further. Let me say that again. It meant not abstaining, but going to the right length and no further. And that is a quote from an essay that C.S. Lewis wrote called A Matter of Self-Control. As we think about this and we think about self-control, we would be remiss if we didn't consider what the book of Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says this, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Without self-control, without ruling of ourselves, we are nothing more than a city broken down without walls. All kinds of things can come in and push us, can cause us to shift our opinion, to change what we're going to do. Now sometimes human nature takes in. We've all been there where we've walked in a room intent on doing something, and we get into that room, and something else grabs our attention. Right? Some of that is just human frailty. But there's another part of things where we procrastinate. We don't deal with. We don't discipline ourselves. Every one of us needs to consider self-control. I mentioned uh, during our announcement time that the men are studying in our, in our men's group the book Solomon Says by Mark Horn. In chapter 1, there's this wonderful illustration. In this illustration, there's this young man named David. And David, uh, he is needing a, a job for, he's going to talk about it in the sense of his slave. Okay, bear with me here. And in this interview, David is, is talking with the interviewer and he's saying, you know, I've got this slave, I'm going to rent out. And, and the, the uh, interviewer says, hey, at 7.30 in the morning, that's when we need this, this person to come there. And he's like, that early in the morning? I don't think, I don't think he can do that. And he says... You know, I'm not, I'm not really the sole owner, but rather wine, women, and song, they're part owners till late, late, late into the night. And the interviewer says, you cannot really rent out the slave if you already share him with other masters. And that is referring to himself. There are things that controlled David, this person in the interview, that controlled him and defined what he could or couldn't do in other areas. This idea of wine, women, and song controlled him to such an extent he was unable to get up and be a faithful worker, a faithful student, a faithful parent, or a young person. It is important that we understand that self-control is very relevant in our lives. We are always, we are always under the control of something. 
There is no neutrality in life. You know, our passage that we're studying today is Galatians 5, 13 through 6, 5. <clears throat> and I always like to try to put the passage into context. So I'm going to give a quick outline here or introduction to Galatians. The book of Galatians was perhaps one of Paul's earliest letters to any church. As one commentary puts it, Galatians stands guard over the truth that salvation is a gift of God's grace, unearned and undeserved, to be received by faith alone. Paul rejects those who preached an outward works-based religion. Paul also, by the instruction given, emphasizes that faith produces good works and actions. His teachings from chapters 2 through 4 are fundamental in justification of sins through faith in Christ and not through the Old Testament law, which brought all people under condemnation. Paul makes two appeals not to abandon the gospel of truth. One in chapter 4, verses 8 through 20, and again in chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. Finally, Paul launches into practical ways in which we should be living in Christ because of His grace, that unmerited, unearned provision for the forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation to God the Father. And that's in chapter 5. Paul closes the book of Galatians with yet a third, three times now, a third appeal not to abandon the gospel. Remember that the gospel means good news. And what is that good news? That we are saved by His grace, not through our own works. Today we'll be closing our series on cultivating the fruit of the Spirit with the last fruit, self-control. You know, when, when I study, I don't just look at God's Word. That's preeminent. But I also want to take a look at what's happening in our culture what do others have to say about the point of the sermon? And as I did this, I came across a number of pieces of research on self-control as it relates to psychology and psychotherapy. And in one particular article on how to improve your self-control, why self-control is important to your well-being, and this particular article was written by Kendra Cherry, and I just highlight a few things that she points out. She's got a lot of research there, pointing to a lot of research that has been done over the years. The first thing, the psychologist Walter Michel conducted a series of famous experiments during the 1960s and 70s that investigated the importance of delayed gratification. The researchers found, and basically, let me just say this, what this was going on here is they would put kids in a room and they would say, here's a, here's a cookie or a candy treat. If you wait just a few minutes, here's one on the table. You can eat that now, but if you wait just a few minutes, what will happen is when I come back in the room, you can have two, not just one. And the researchers found that the children who were able to delay gratification in order to receive a greater reward were also more likely to have better academic performance than kids who gave in to temptation immediately. The research um, 
elsewhere from the psychological bulletin says this, according to the strength model, self-control is a finite resource that determines capacity for effortful control over dominant responses and once expended leads to impaired self-control task performance known as ego depletion. You know, in our own strength and our own works, self-control or any other thing that we ought to be doing in our life is finite. But through the infinite God, self-control is not a finite resource. Some of the research goes on to say this, while it is clear that self-control is critical for maintaining healthy behaviors, some experts believe that overemphasizing the importance of willpower can be damaging. This whole article and all the research rolling into it, I should probably back off from that statement and say much of the research that was presented in the article was an emphasis for self-control and it was focused on how self-control benefits the person utilizing self-control academically, financially, in health and happiness. That's very interesting. Now there are clear benefits to us as individuals as we look at having self-control in our lives. But if you contrast the biblical view of self-control it begins elsewhere. It begins through love. <coughs> Here's what we'll turn to our passage, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. We're going to go through this passage together quickly and consider what God's Word has to say about self-control. And the first thing I want to say is we need to remember. For you, brethren have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, and even this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. That's very interesting. There's a considerable contrast here. It says you've been given liberty, Right? But of course, you need to exercise self control. Don't use it as an opportunity simply to benefit yourself. I'll say this as a, as a dad I find that if I do not get enough rest, my children suffer. My wife suffers. And the truth is, so do you. You may not see that. And this is a very important concept. We are covenant people, we are joined together. My sin affects you. Your sin affects me. That's how it works in the covenant. We're all related. What happens to the least of us happens to the most important of us. We need to recognize this. But here we are told, we are, we are given the, the instruction that even though we've been given liberty, that is an opportunity to exercise rule over something, don't use that liberty as an opportunity simply for yourself. And it strongly says, but through love serve one another. We are called as Christians to be like Jesus and to lay down our lives for others. 
we are to lay down our life for our families. I mean, it's even instructed to us as husbands to lay down our lives, to love our, our wives as Christ loved the church, insomuch as he gave himself up for her, for her very benefit. And we are called as Christians to do this to one another. And, of course, it goes beyond our own households. It goes to everyone in this church. It goes to our neighbors. It goes to the people in our community. Now, it's important to make this note. To love someone is not simply to say, let them do whatever they want. Right? Or to affirm them doing whatever they choose to do. If we live in such a fashion, we are not promoting self-control, but rather selfishness. Even in all this, we should love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we don't do these things, what, what naturally happens when someone is simply focused on themselves? What happens? When someone comes along and reaches out to them, they don't want to be messed with. And they bite and they devour. And what happens? Eventually, you'll be consumed by each other. It is important that we recognize that we are not simply to be difficult and hurtful to others. Leviticus chapter 19 verses 18 says this, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Even in the midst of God's law of how to behave, he emphasizes that a large portion of what he is saying is not just about worshiping him, but it is also caring for your neighbor and all those around you. So he says that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says what? I am the Lord. That settles it. There's no question that we must love one another, and that takes self-control. The next part of this scripture, I would say, gives us instructions as walking in the Spirit is walking like a Christian. Verse 16 says this, again, Galatians chapter 5, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, but you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, there's a couple of things here that we need to consider. We need to understand, as Christians, we are to walk as Christians. Being a Christian is not simply coming to church, reciting a few things, knowing a little bit about God's Word. But this service that we are undergoing right here is to worship the Almighty, is to be in fellowship with God through the table. It is to be uh, in His presence. And at the very end, we get a commissioning to go out. And that commissioning to go out means that we should love one another and take actions and live as God wants us to. And that takes self-control. You can't say no to your appetites. You can't say no to the desires that you have without self-control. And of course you say, there are certain things in my life that control me so much, I can't escape it. You've been forgiven by the Almighty. Go to Him and ask for self-control. Go to your brothers and sisters and ask for help.
to deal with those things that are consuming you. Because that is what the Spirit of God would want us to do. Our sins are forgiven, so we're not under the law any further. It's important for us to remember what we were. Now, here's the thing. When we read this next passage and we consider who we once were, we're going to hear some things in this passage that are going to be not just past tense, but maybe things we're battling with right now. And we could even say that we are now or we are dealing with right now. Verse 19 says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, unclean, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That's a pretty encompassing list. And I think those who are walking with the Lord would say, I know I've done some of those things. I, I can just point to the middle and say idolatry. I know we're all guilty of that. Where we have put other things above the Lord, above following God, above by doing what we want to do, regardless of what God's word says. And he says this, Paul goes on and says, of these things, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a contrast, uh, clearly here a list of what we should not do. But Paul is always masterful by the Spirit of God when he's writing and he puts out a list of things you shouldn't do. And you can find this throughout all Scripture. Don't do this, this, and this. There is always a list of go do this instead. And the truth is, if we really focus on the to-do list, a lot of the things on the not-to-do list just fall away. Not that we don't need to repent of them, but simply to say they become less and less an issue if we're focused on what we should be doing. And so the contrast to all of this is growing the fruit, is cultivating the fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first one. And remember, we were commanded to what? Love God and love our neighbor. Those are those first two commandments. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and it finishes up with self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Now this is interesting because when we consider this, what's the last verse here in this section? It says, let us not become conceited, thinking too much of ourselves, provoking one another, right? So I think my opinion's right. I think what, I, what I'm thinking is, is right. Let me provoke others, envying one another. That's the same warning that you get uh, earlier where it says, where it gives us the warning about biting and eating and destroying one another. 
See how these are connected? They're framed up. Don't be like that. Self-control is a means to carry out the actions of the other fruit. We start with love, and you think about this. You need self-control in order to do what? To have love. Love gives you that starting point. To have joy, take self-control. To have peace, take self-control. To endure long-suffering. To be kind. To be good. To be faithful. To be gentle. All of those things require self-control. We begin with love, and that gives us a picture of what our actions should be. And we see that develop. And that requires us to say no to myself and yes to God so that I may say yes and love my neighbor. In our gospel reading from today, from Mark chapter 10, verse 21 said this, And then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross, and follow me. That's really interesting when you think about this. What was the issue? Well, Jesus makes the contrast here that those that trust in riches, that was also part of that reading, right? It's hard for them to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because their trust is in an idol called money and their own resources and their own ability. But he knew that this, that this young man had with great earnestness tried to obey points of the law. Because remember what he said, all these things I've done? And Jesus loved him. He didn't just beat him up. He loved him and told him the truth. Because loving people is telling them the truth. But that takes self-control to do it in a way with gentleness and faithfulness. And said, one thing you lack, go and sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. He put, Jesus cut through everything and in love and in care, in kindness, and being absolutely faithful to that young man, says your idol is your trust in your resources, in your wealth, in your own abilities. And he says, that's not the place to be. Take that idol away. Destroy that idol. And take up your cross, which is to serve and lay down your life for others. I mentioned this earlier, but in Ephesians 5.25, we're told, Husbands, love your wives, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That, here's the important part. Why does he do it? Why did Jesus do it? Why should husbands do this? It's because that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And of course, this is a reference to Jesus and the church. But the principle is, men, what are you doing to make your wives flourish? 
What are you doing? How are you laying yourself down? How are you denying yourself that she may be glorified? Ephesians 5, 2 says this, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We are called to be like Christ and to lay down our lives for others. You know, we cannot do the fruit of the Spirit. We cannot develop those without self-control. Again, let us consider the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, the opposite of self-control, adultery, fornication, unclean, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Compare that to love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now here's the reality, folks. I spent all week thinking, studying, reading all kinds of things on self-control, considering God's word, his command to do these things and how to do them. And you know what? My self-control was challenged. Real world. I fell into being impatient. Not simply laying myself down, making demands. I needed to repent. I am thankful for the forgiveness and, and kindness to my own family, from my own family. But the reality is this is a truth for all of us, to our children, to our co-workers, to our classmates, to our brothers and sisters. We fall into this. We need to think about self-control and praise God that he forgives us first and that enables us to forgive one another. Practically, we need to seek wisdom. Take the fruit of the Spirit and use it as lenses to evaluate your actions in the varying life situations you find yourself in. I want you to think about that. Now, part of this is you think, boy, that's kind of complicated. There's a bunch of them there. How do I have all these lenses to look at my situation? Well, in the beginning, it is very clunky. I'll tell you the truth. It can be very difficult to say to apply all these quickly as a single lens. Right? Uh, was it uh, Benjamin Franklin invented those glasses with these different lenses you could flop down in front of your, yourself to help you see things? I would simply say this, that in the beginning, start with love. When you're in those varying situations, how am I loving this person? And then if you say, okay, I'm not sure what that means, ask about those other fruit. Am I being kind? Am I being gentle? Am I being long-suffering to them? And then how do you execute that? That is through self-control. Now, right now, you might be saying this is overwhelming. Remember what James chapter 1, verse 5 says in relationship to the fact you may feel like you're unable to do these things. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. Ask God. 
Listen, you need to read and listen to God's word daily. You need to pray. You need to be in relationship with other Christians during the week so that you may be strengthened and encouraged to walk faithfully, to love and have self-control. And absolutely, you need to be in worship weekly. What we do here isn't just thoughts we've thrown out. No, the elders through God we call worship. You come, the people of God come and gather, right? God speaks. We confess, right? We then hear God's word. We then come into communion and relationship. Not that we aren't already in a relationship. We, we are coming in to a deeper relationship through the Lord's table. And finally, we are commissioned out so that we may live the fruit of the Spirit in the world around us. What's our purpose? What's the purpose of all of this? If you come to the end of the close of chapter 5 of Galatians, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, says this, <clears throat> Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Why? What's the purpose of all this? It isn't simply calling us to repent of our, our own sin. That's part of it. We must. But we should also grow the fruit of the Spirit, cultivate it, let it flourish in our lives, lay down our lives for others, serve others. For what? So that. Not, it says, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, everyone in this room has been overtaken by a trespass at one time or another and may face one in the future. It says that we should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. But be careful, because you could fall into that yourself. Don't think too much of yourself. Don't elevate yourself. I have all the answers. I know everything. I know what God's Word says. That's absolute truth. And finally, I should recognize that my biggest motivation is this. You know, when he thinks himself to be something and he is nothing and, and carrying his own load, this is to recognize that you and I, we are sinners saved by grace. Not because we earned it, not because we're so good, but because God chose us and gave, his, gave us His grace and His kindness and His forgiveness. He enabled us to believe. And we should be humbled by that fact. And that is why we should be able to go and restore a person in a spirit of gentleness. Because if I had to face the consequences of my own sin, it's overwhelming. But in Christ, I've been gifted, gifted God's grace and forgiveness. And so I should humbly come to others that need to be pulled out of a trespass 
pulled away from the edge of destruction and do it with kindness in their life, not looking down at them because they have sin and difficulty. But I recognize, and I mean that I as in all of us, that we recognize that we are sinners saved by grace. We should contend with one another and restore one another. Please pray with me. Almighty God, who has poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word, grant that the same light be enkindled in our hearts and may shine forth in our lives through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.